Blog Talk Radio. Marshall, can we just talk about this for one second? You rescued her. You raised her. You're not protecting her now. You are holding her back. One. Don't you ever touch me again. Two. Don't you ever touch me again. Now, you have no idea who the hell I am or where I've come from, and I'm not about to tell you my whole life story. All I need to be to you and everybody on this dome is a fixed point. The last man standing. I do not need your sympathy or your admiration. All I need is your compliance and your fighting skills. And if I can't get that, then you can go back to the wall that I found you crawling on. Do I make myself clear? Yes, sir. Good. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind, a journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio, with your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. folks what's up your host debert aka the afro nerd is in the house and this is speaking of house this is the grind house engineered by the folks at afro nerd radio and the afro nerd radio machine the call in number is 646-915-9620 again 646-915-9620 greg allman of the infamous talented allman brothers band has left the building. And all I can say is uh, the musical giants are really leaving the planet Earth relatively at the same age. Um, Maybe it's a lifestyle thing. Maybe it's the Illuminati. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, that's something that's floating out there. I I really can't say. But um, with a heavy heart, uh, I always did appreciate the Allman Brothers and what they brought to the scene and their musical abilities uh, although I'm more on the on the spectrum of uh, blues, rock, um, funk, you know, you, you folks know what I'm listening to. The Omen Brothers still fell in that same that same purview, and I'll get into into why. 
Uh, they had a lot of groove, a lot of one of my favorite words. I use I use the word groove far too much. Anyway, <laughs> uh, definitely a, a, a well respected, well world renowned jam band, and he was um, uh, definitely a phenomenal songwriter, great singer, great musician, great guitarist. Uh, Sixty nine man, you know he's from the same school as David Bowie. Uh, Prince was a bit younger than this gentleman, but we're still closing in on middle age. And it's just, um, wow, man. <laughs> you, you never think these people would, are going to leave this soon, but we'll talk about it. Uh, liver cancer, folks, and that hard drinking, man. Former paramour to Cher. Cher keeps on Cher, of all people. We saw her recently at the Billboard Awards. She knows how to, how to survive. I'll say that. I'll just leave it at that. She knows what to do, obviously. Anyway, let's go to Almond Brothers. Almond Brothers cover by someone who also left the building, Sharon Jones. Sharon Jones left around, you know, in her sixties, late fifties. This is crazy stuff, folks. Sharon Jones covering Greg Almon, Midnight Rider, one of their big hits. We'll be right back. Let's groove.
right. Midnight Rider, one of the Allman Brothers' uh, greatest hits, uh, as covered by Sharon Jones, who left the building last year prematurely, and Greg Allman, who left the, left the planet this year prematurely. Anyway, folks, this is The Grindhouse, as engineered by Afrina Radio. Uh, you know I could not do this show without any, any kind of real passion, efficacy, what have you, without my discussants in arms, co-discussants. We have, of course, the uncanny Daryl B., Captain Kirk, and our left coast correspondent, Claire Lene. First up, Captain. Captain, you're needed on Rigel 35.6 divided by 2. Let's get to it, sir. Interesting. Very, very interesting. That's all I have I think to say. I think that's, yes, that's your favorite word. That's your safe word. <laughs> all right, folks. Uh, this gentleman, eidetic comic book and sports, sports fact, memory, uh, bar none. Definitely a, a premier component of our enterprise here. Uh, he is the uncanny Daryl B. Coming to you live from the middle of Manhattan. Howdy, folks. It's too, oh. it's too freaking, it's too much of a beautiful day to be bogged down with hate and anger. But you know what? Rest in peace, Mr. Almond. Oh, yeah, I know you as a fellow musicologist, I know you know about the Almond Brothers and the, their jam band abilities. And, I mean, uh, I, you know, when I was younger, you know, you, I heard the Almond Brothers, obviously. Uh, I remember the, the um, I guess the controversy or the shock that he had dated and then married Cher because Cher is coming from kind of a different, you know, she's, a, she's more of a pop songstress and the Allman Brothers are like these hard-drinking southern rock guys and it seems like that pair just wouldn't match. And they were married for a couple of years, but uh, you, you, I knew of them but did not really get into their music until I was much older to start to hear... The, the funk and the R&B and the jamming abilities of the Allman Brothers. So for folks who really want to get into music, check out the, the Allman Brothers. And actually, and I'll say this and we'll move along, uh, they're always tagged as a southern rock band. But I think Greg Allman himself really eschewed that description. He, called him, he, he would say that they're more of a progressive rock band from the South. Well, so I think they were... Well, the way I look at it is without the almonds, you don't get Dave Matthews. Without the almonds, you don't get uh, Gin Blossoms. Without the almonds, you don't get, sorry to say, Nickelback. Fused country with blues, with rock and roll. And guess what? That means you don't get the Black Crows either. Thank you, Mr. Almond. Let's get on with the show. All right. Let's get to it. Uh, And, uh, Daryl, I know your your time. You're going to be with us for a minute, and then you're going to be doing your thing. So let's get into this thing. Um, you know, you know. First up, I, I do want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, American Gods. I didn't advertise it, but I want to talk about it because I finally got a chance to see the last episode. I think it was episode four. Episode five airs tomorrow, and this is Neil Gaiman's brainchild we know it was a novel first i think it's now an ongoing comic book series and most folks know gaiman to be a comic book guy we know he's a novelist 
and he's a comic book guy, and I think his daughter actually follows us on Twitter, and I think she's also a novelist, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, we know him, as, we know him you know, of course, for Sandman and so forth. Um, but this particular series is out there. I mean, I can't, I can't even describe it. I want to take, I want the, the helmet because he was talking about this and talking about how weird it is. He, he didn't really, he didn't say if it was good or bad. He said it was weird. So I want to give the mic to the captain. Then I want to hear what, what Daryl has to say about it. What, what are your impressions of, of stars, the stars networks, um, American gods, Neil Gaiman. Weird, disturbing, controversial. I would also say a bit all over the place. I've watched three episodes. I haven't watched the fourth as of yet, but watched three episodes. And I cannot decide whether I like it or not. That's where I am with it. But what keeps me going is the fact that it is different. You can't necessarily predict what is going to happen in the show. So that keeps me going. Most of these shows that I watch, I can tell when the guy's going to get shot. You're in at this time point. This happens. This happens. You know, I know pretty much what's going on. Just going to see. I'm just looking at it to see how well they execute it or how well the actor, how well the actor plays the role, that sort of thing. But American Gods is very unpredictable, and I don't know if it really has continuity in respect to what's going on at this given point, meaning which it's all over the place. I don't know if it actually works, but it does have me intrigued, though. You know, there's also some salacious things that are going on in there. And don't, I don't know if it necessarily works or it does not work, but it is shocking. So for some people, it will definitely bring them in because of that. You just don't really know what's going on. But I figure by the sixth episode, that's going to shake out. You're gonna, they're going to have to do something at that given point. And the continuity will fill in a little bit more. But I think, once again, it's all over the place. It's controversial. It's disturbing. But it is different. And that's where that's what's keeping me in it at this given point. Back over to you, Afro Nerd. All right, quickly, um, before I pass the mic to the mighty Daryl B., just to give a little bit of a backdrop for our listeners again, we're talking about American Gods by uh, Hugo and Nebula award-winning novelist Neil Gaiman, uh, we most most notably known for the early 90s work, uh, phenomenal work with Sandman. And I think Sandman is also, if I stand to be correct, I think Sandman is probably also in the works for some kind of theatrical release in some format. Uh, who's to say how it, would, how it will come out? Uh, anything goes, which is kind of a cool thing. Um, with American Gods, again, novel first, I think it's a graphic novel. Uh, and I'm going to have to definitely get a few of the issues. I think it came out in March. So I'm maybe uh, four or five issues behind. Anyway, just for the audience to give them a little bit of a, a quick backdrop without really going too deep into this thing. It essentially is um, – it, it, it shows a battle between the gods in a modern context. And it's, it, it, it really kind of taps into 
um, existentialism. It taps into um, uh, I'm trying to figure out the, the right word because it really is out there. Uh, obviously, mythology, gods of myth, Odin, and not the Odin that we all know <laughs> from Thor, from Thor Marvel Comics, but Odin coming down as as the old gods fight the new gods, and I'm not, and I and I don't even mean Kirby's new gods. I'm t- the god of technology. You see where I'm going going with uh, to the to the audience, the god of technology, um, the god of media. So it's it, it's very existential. It's it's it is a mind bender. So uh, I'll leave it at that. These 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 gods are are battling. I guess they're the old way versus the new way. Old gods versus new gods, and I'll let the, the mighty Daryl B. give you his interpretation of American gods. Daryl? Oh, okay. Um, all right. Uh, my interpretation, this is everything Sense 8 tried to be but failed. You want to be shocking? You want to be uh, avant-garde? Well, hey, stars let this happen. You know, the, the argument about doing the book before was, Will stars let them do the novel uncut? <laughs> because if they do the novel uncut, there is a lot in this novel that a lot of people will get turned off by. <laughs> Calling a spade a spade. You know, the, the novel, if you get your hands on it, they're redoing new editions. It, it, it's, it's amazing to see, but... Oh, oh, it is some rough stuff. If you're conservative, if you're stuck in the mud, if you're not really used to uh, out there ideas, good luck to you when watching the series. But even more luck to you reading the novel. Hey, there's some parts of this I, I got squeamish at. But you know what? I just went, hey, it's a deeper story in, in this involved. And, and shout out to Jillian Anderson and Orlando Jones who've been killing it, absolutely killing it. Just get ready to see Jillian Anderson as David Bowie. Enough said. Back to you, Afrener. Okay, let me put your mic down because you're, 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 we can hear you, but it's a little rough. And I know you're out in the field there, so I appreciate it. Hold on. I'm going to put you on, your mic on, uh, your mic down. Um, just to go a little deeper into it and kind of to dovetail over, off of what the captain was talking about, you know, um, and I, I, I suspect Daryl would agree with me on this. You do need American gods. When I was, when I was looking at it, we can, we can talk about how weird this thing is. And I have to repeat, I mean, I, I, Captain has it dead on target. This is a weird ride. And it's hard to determine if you, if you will like it. I think I might, I'm, I might be liking it because it is weird. It, it, it tips the apple cart. Um, and if if comic book movies and these kind of genre movies and genre pieces are to survive, you're going to have to go into this kind of stuff to make things interesting. It definitely shakes things up because as much as we love The Flash, and we'll talk about The Flash and, and some of these other you know, Black Lightning we spoke about a few weeks ago. Uh, I can't wait for it. But can't have these predictable superhero science fiction kind of things you can't have these tropes so if anything american gods is certainly not a trope fest 
by, by no stretch of the imagination, you don't know what's going going on. You don't know what's happening. Uh, Cap, you got to see the last episode um, before tomorrow's episode. It is something else. It is it is something else. It's um it stays with you. I'll say this much also. Orlando Jones is a beast. Um, Neil Gaiman again. Neil Gaiman may be the um. I don't want to say the thinking man's Tarantino. I don't want to say that, but for for, for him to write, if he has anything to do with the dialogues with Orlando Jones playing the African god Anansi. And Anansi comes up, obviously, uh, even in Spider-Man mythology. Anansi is, is the spider god. Well, Anansi has come up on a number of, uh, uh, a number of, of um, IPs. We've seen Anansi, I believe, in... Uh, Daryl, I need your, your, your eidetic memory. What, was he with uh, Static Shot, the cartoon? Wasn't there some reference to Anansi? Uh, Vixen. Okay, I know you're a vixen, but but I know there was a, there was a spider powered hero from Africa. Oh, uh, the totem and the other. Because remember, uh, Peter Parker went to um, that land and ran into him, and then he had uh, I forget the name of the dude. Uh, well, that again, it, it had to do with the whole uh, Moreland thing, where he became the spider totem, and and uh, ah, sorry, I, I got yeah, no, well, it. Well, that part, that exactly, the totem, the the mentoring that that other spider-powered being had. I mean, I know that storyline, but I was just thinking of Static Shock, and I, I thought of Nancy had something. Oh, um, then, uh, when, uh, when he went to Africa, right? And he learned the, the and and uh, the, well, I I want to say Trickster, but it was it was a different name. It was a different name. But folks, Wait. if you look up Static Shock, and you look up a Nancy, you'll see the outfit. And that kicked off like three straight episodes of like it was uh, quote unquote Static Shock Black Power movie because well, he had the Anansi God, he had the Soul Power dude, and then it ended with um, him meeting um, John Stewart. Well, another thing, and these these are these are a list of uh, of books by Gaiman. So you have Anansi Boys. Now, is Anansi Boys a, is, isn't that like a separate property under Gaiman? Is that like a separate Series potentially? It, I, I believe. I thought I heard separate. that. It, it's been a while since I read it. it. I believe it's separate. But uh, his diehard fans have noticed in the text that there was a few references that they could have gathered. It could have been connected to this, including a Mister Nancy part in there where people went, "Oh, it's a shared universe," you know. And but Gaiman has never come out or. Never, to my knowledge, come out and said, "Well, Anansi Boys is a definite continuation from American God." Well, I, I'll I say this something. Yes, go ahead. You know the the character, Mister Wednesday, Ian McShane. If you watch John Wick Two, he's <laughs> almost playing the same type of character that he plays in American Gods. You know, I find it interesting. You know. Just food for thought for those of you that go out there and you watch John Wick 2. It's, it's, hmm. it's, it's similar. It's similar. I guess that's just what he does. Back to you, Alphonse. Yeah, uh, just for the listening audience, again, again, Anansi is an African trickster, trickster god. Uh, for the lack of imagination, I will say 
he he is uh, reminiscent of a Loki, I would say. But anyway, a Nancy A N A N S I A N A N S as in Sam I a Nancy. Uh, th- there's a um, a dialogue that I'm going to have to dialogue slash monologue, however you want to word it. But it, there's a scene with Orlando Jones where he is a Nancy. He plays the trickster god, and he's he's called upon by a a enslaved African in the hull of a slave ship. Oh. So uh, you could you, oh. you could imagine you could imagine what that must be like. So you you see, I mean, you know, for those who know anything about uh, American history and the, tri- the the triangular slave trade, you see Africans uh, in the hull of a ship, you know, chained up. They're in a living hell, and uh, it, it wouldn't be beyond the realm of imagination for a a African person to 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 pray to a Nancy. So a Nancy. Uh, he's the call, and he, he basically – I'm not going to go too deep into to the audience. You've got to see the scene. But the dialogue that – the monologue, pardon me, that Orlando Jones gives, I, gotta, I, have, I, I apologize for forgetting the shortening because it's maybe four minutes in length. But what he says uh, is, a short, <laughs> is a short analysis of the black American situation. And he, t- he gives these Africans, he tells them straight up, this is what's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to you for 300 years, and then it's going to ha- you're going to have an- another 100 years of, of effery. I mean, he-, he breaks it down in a very visceral tone. And if he doesn't get some kind of Emmy for that, for that exchange, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's next level. The whole, clip, and, the whole clip, you can't shorten it. You have to yeah, the whole clip. yeah. There's no part you have of to that play the whole thing. Out. You can't cut out any part of that. Can't cut out anything. Hey, hey, uh, guys, you remember the? Uh, uh, I don't think you were online when it happened. When he delivers that, there were a bunch of, uh, let's say, less than educational people that got mad at that. And I'm like, why are you getting <laughs> mad? You're getting educated right now. He is letting these poor guys know, boy, now. Just wait till you see what the descendants get into. I'm like, wait, holy... Wait, Daryl, hold on one second. <laughs> hold on. I know you're speaking in code, but what do you mean yeah. that le- less educated people? Like, you talking about white folks? No. Let's say... No. Hold on. To the audience, I got to be respectful. I'm talking about uh, uh, not non-evolved, unevolved white people, not pro- non-progressive white people, or, or even maybe black people. So who are you talking about who doesn't get that? No, no, hold it, hold it. With the non-evolved white people, we'll get into with the Wonder Woman stuff. They got their time coming. I'm talking about fellow quote-unquote brothers and sisters who should have taken the time to listen to what he was saying, but <gasps> how could they show this on TV? <gasps> how could... And all I typed was, obviously you didn't read the book. <laughs> This was this was this was more powerful here in Orlando Jones give it than when I read it in the book. It isn't usual that I say something like that, but folks, you have to check out this scene. And that's if you the, if one of the you best are, scenes. Yeah, if you are ignorant, of course you're gonna get mad <laughs> because he's describing you. 
<laughs> okay, I, again, I, we could really we could really go in, with, but I don't want to go to such a level where we start really being uh, spoilerific. I don't want to do the spoilerific thing. I'll just say that I, I, let, let's. I, I want to just pass the mic around in this sense. D- don't you think that American Gods is necessary? We can talk about how weird it is, and, I, and I'm, I'm leaning towards it being excellent simply because of Orlando Jones's uh, monologue. That monologue was fire. I was like, oh, I'm in for a ride. Now, the conservative part that Daryl was talking about, episode three, I, ha- I, told Cap- I told the captain, the captain knows me so well. Daryl, I suspect, knows me so well. And I am, I am Mr. Naive. Uh, I'm naive. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, I was like, I mean, I, I don't expect certain things. And, I listen, and listen, it's the new world order. We had this long, lengthy conversation last week about what uh, some forces want to do to Black Panther, whatever. Um, with this episode three with the Muslim gentleman, I'm like, okay, there's an encounter going on. But I'm thinking it's a brotherly encounter. Even when the gentleman puts his hand on the, on the taxi driver's shoulder, I'm like, I'm thinking still, oh, okay, he's just giving him confidence like, yo, brother, we're in, the, we're in America, I get it. But then he's holding on to the man's shoulder a little too long. I'm like, uh, okay, that makes me feel uncomfortable. What's up? And then they're holding hands in the elevator. I said, okay. I stopped it. I read it on Wikipedia. I, I said, okay, something's going down. It's not of my constitution. So I, I fast-forwarded till their exchange was over, and they, and they made an exchange in lives. But I, no, no, no. Daryl said, said, you got to watch the Dar- scene. <laughs> no, 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 I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. You got to watch that. the scene. It, it, no, it adds it. to the weirdness. It adds no. to everything. <laughs> you have to watch no. it. Listen, man. Wait, wait, wait. I, you can take Bilkis and you can't take that scene? Say it again? Oh, you mean the, 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 uh, the African-American woman? Yes. <laughs> well, actually, that, that was a little bit of a turn-on. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> that part... That part, I would probably, I would probably be one of those, one of those poor saps, honestly, and I would enjoy. Uh-huh. It. That's just me. Uh-huh. That I understood. I think she had cocoa butter in that somewhere too. Anyway, that me. I understood. Okay, episode three, I had to tap out. I tapped out. I read it, and I, I got, I got, I fast forwarded right to the point where, you know, I, I didn't see anything. I, I, I figured it out. I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not of this earth. I'm not, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready. Cause, it, but it, it, I will say this: everything fits in each. It, it will be a very hard thing for them to keep up this kind of pace. Like for them to, to have this level of weirdness, weirdness, every episode. I don't know. It'd be amazing if cause every episode so far is just weird and is separately weird from separately weird. I don't know how much weirder weirder it can get. Daryl probably uh, knows more. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. We will. We'll just say, uh, uh, if you're a fan of mythology and you this book, pick up this book. Just read it. I know there's parts that's going to make you squeamish, but the way they translate these myths to current times in terms of the gods and how they translate their attitudes, you know, Neil Gaiman is is on a, a whole new level, dude. We knew it through through Sandman. I knew it through this, but now a whole new generation is learning the true American God. 
one quick thing, our our stalwart supporter John Hutton. I'm, list, I'm looking at his um his comments in the chat room. Shout out to John Hutton. Uh, he straightens it out. He says Static went to Africa and met a Nancy. I, I remember that. And when he said Tarantino is a thinking man, Tarantino. Yeah, it was difficult for me to make that connection. The only reason because Tarantino is a thinking man, but I guess I guess Gaiman, his ability to uh, to, to give dialogue to African Americans. Um, in a way that is very um, believable. Let's put it that put it that way. Uh, I, I'm always talking about the need for some of these these um, these properties of color from Marvel and DC that you might need a black voice to lend some kind of credence to the to 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 the culture. You know, it, it, it's one thing for for um, Luke Cage to be created by a white person. But you may, I'm thinking, under normal circumstances, you would need a black person to kind of give Luke Cage a certain voice. But I can't, I will say uh, Michael J. Straczynski can give that voice, Tarantino, and now Gaiman. So uh, I, I have to tip my hat to these gentlemen. They're, they're fire. That, that, episode, that episode was fire. I'll leave, it, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to say too much. I'm just... I'm excited about American Gods. Obviously. You're over geeking. Is that what we're saying? You're yeah. over geeking now. I'm shocking. Shocked. Shocked. There it goes. All right, folks. Uh, you have, if you haven't guessed it, this is the Grindhouse. Um, I got a text from our Left Coast correspondent, Claire Lene. She's coming, coming momentarily. Um, in the meantime, let's go to a, another groove. And when we get back, I want to get into. I really wanted to hold off because I would like to hear Claire's opinion. And I, well, she can always come in and, and give her opinion. But I think we should talk about uh, Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon. We got to talk about what this means, what I hope it means, and also the tragedy. We got to we have to be respectful for what the Snyder family is going through because that's something that no parent, no family member should ever have to go through. So it's understandable that he he should he should be he should be leaving uh, to deal with his family leaving leaving the uh, directing. Of uh, the Justice League films. Anyway, uh, let's go to a groove, folks. You know what we do. Um, I'll, I'll go back into more Greg Elman songs. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to get a little Nick Nagari. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I think John Hutton will appreciate this because he's on the uh, the West Coast also. Uh, I'm not the biggest Biggie Small fan. I will confess. Uh, I thought he was kind of the East Coast version of what. Uh, Dre and NWA were doing as far as gangsterism on wax. But I can't discount the man's lyrical ability. I can't do that. So there is a mix of Nirvana, 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 (laughs) and Biggie Smalls that is just fire. And that's what it's called. It's called Big Pop of Fire. Uh, I can't, I can't. Get, a, get away from this groove. Can't. Big Pop of Fire. Remix. Give you a couple of minutes. We'll be right back. Let's groove. Excuse the ex.
Big to all the ladies in the place with style and grace. Allow me to lace these physical dishes in your bushes. Who rock grooves and make moves with all the mommies. The back of the club, sipping my wet is where you find me. The back of the club, macking holes, my crew's behind me. Mad question asking, blunt passing, music lasting. But I just can't quit because one of these honeys Biggie got to creep with, sleep with, keep the effort secret. Why not? Why blow up my spot? Cause we both got hot. Now check it. I got more Mac than Craig and in the bed. Believe me, sweetie, I got enough to feed the needy. No need to be greedy. I got mad friends with Benz and see no father layers. True fucking players. Jump in the rover and come over. Tell your friends jump in the GS3. I got the chronic by the tree. I'm asking, most of these niggas think they be macking, but they be acting, who they attracting with that line, what's your name, what's your sign, soon as he buy that wine, I just creep up from behind, and ask you what your interests are, who you be with, things to make you smile, what numbers to dial, you gon' be here for a while, I'm gon' call my crew, you gon' call your crew, we can rendezvous at the bar around two, plans to leave, throw the keys to little C's, pull the truck up front, and roll up the next blunt, so we can steam on the way to the telly, go fill my belly, a T-bone Steak, cheese, eggs, and welch is great Conversate for a few Cause in a few we gon' do what we came to do Ain't that right, boo? Forget the telly, we just go to the crib And watch a movie in the jacuzzi Smoke L's while you do me Tremendous cream, fuck a dollar and a dream. Still tote gas strapped with infrared beams. Chopping O's, smoking line optimals. Money holes and clothes, all a nigga knows. A foolish pleasure, whatever. I had to find the buried treasure. So grams I had to measure. However, living better now. Coochie sweater now. Drop top BMs, I'm the man, girlfriend. Simply put, I, I can get self-indulgent every once in a while, and uh, it, it kind of has like a weird, um, it's going to be a weird connection, but a, a weird Johnny Cash appeal or, or something, something about the way that mix works. And that's, again, we're talking about 90s hip-hop, where the lyricism is, is, is pretty phenomenal. I'm, again, I'm not uh, co-signing on what he was saying, but, you know, you got Kurt Cobain wailing in the background. I can excuse some stuff if the talent is there. Um, it's a little bit different than the Migos. I'll put you that. I'll put it at, at, at like that, using discernment. 
But I, I, I had to admit, I got that from an OK player. And it's it's causing quite a, a bit of stir on OK player. A lot of these people who are hip-hop heads can't – they can't front that Cobain being mixed in with Biggie Smalls is it's something. All right. Well, I, I, I'll just say this for those folks. Look up Girl Talk. Look up White Panda. Uh, let's see. Look up uh, DJ Party Ben. These guys and gals on the net make a killing with these mashups, and some of them are funky as all heck. Hell, hey, look up DJ Hero and listen to some of those mashups. Yeah, you know, um, the mashup game is phenomenal, man. When it's, when it's done right, you, you really have to admit it's, uh, it's something, man. When it's done right, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't deconstruct it. Uh, folks, the Grindhouse, we're back. Uh, Kalelene is coming around at some point. So let's get into this thing. We, 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 will, we will revisit it uh, when she comes in. I, I know she wants some, She probably has something to say about this. Anyway, um, Zack Snyder, director. Director of note, Zack Snyder. Watchmen. Um, I thought he did an excellent job of Watchmen. Man of Steel. And also with Batman vs Superman, which not so well received, but made money. He is a um, a director that is uh, definitely has provides a, a a divided comic book uh, public fandom. The geeks are are divided about Zack Zack Snyder. I suspect not as divided, but divided. I. I We've talked about this ad nauseum, my feelings about B, B versus S. Anyway, in March, his daughter from his first marriage committed suicide, which is you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy. So uh, my, from my understanding, he had intended to keep this thing private and to go back into the workspace to try to, to, to go through the work in hopes that it would keep him distracted enough to, to, to power through the pain and a parent losing their child, especially that way, one can only imagine. But at some point he came to a realization that this is time to kind of hone in on the family. And that's exactly what he's doing. So while he is mourning with his family, figuring out this tragedy, uh, his good buddy of Avengers fame of Felicity fame is taking the reins of the post-production for Justice League. So I don't know what to think about that. I, I don't, you know, I think some folks in the geek world probably think that, oh, well, this might straighten out some things. Uh, it's a lot of irony that he did the Avengers, which is, a, which is the Marvel super team, and now he's doing DC super team. And we also, we also have to theorize, will this, will this carry over to the sequel of Justice League? So let, let, me, uh, let me go to... Daryl B. You know, what are your impressions? What could this mean? Does it mean anything? What are your thoughts? All right. First of all, okay, listen. What we do here, we treat serious, but this is fantasy. All right? For some of my fellow nerds, geeks, blurs, to be outwardly cheering that this man lost his daughter. And, you know, just hand in your geek cards. 
And, you know, there's places that you are not supposed to go as a moral human being, all right? And this is me without morals saying that, all right? Did I like Zack Snyder? No, not particularly, but I wouldn't wish, wish something like this upon anybody. And the fact that some of my brethren and sisters were reveling in this makes me sick, all right? Now, about the less frivolous question, uh, part of the question, and condolences to the Snyder family, because, again, I've told people about my own brushes with the big S word. It leaves you shaken, but Lord knows what it leaves your family like that you leave behind, okay? As far as, as we go with, with, with weaving going on with the franchise, it's too late to see what Whedon's impact will be on Justice League because that's in the can, all right? We don't know where it's going to be. Now, the, the films in the future, we just have to see how he puts his touch to it, you know? There, is, there are Whedon tropes, remember, okay, about strong female heroes, uh, Wanty Batter, uh, weird but fun action scenes, you know, but there's a word I use, fun, all right? For a while now in Snyder's vision, get more serious. Now, Whedon could be just as serious, but he isn't as heavy-handed with it, you know? It is more uh, discreet. Where it's a serious situation, but you're so busy laughing or you're so busy uh, tearing up that you don't realize the gravity of what he just laid upon you, i.e. Buffy, what he did with the Buffy franchise, you know? There were some very serious themes being explored there, but we we were all wrapped up in the cool moment. So, you know, and then later on, when you analyze, you go, oh, they went there. Wow. You know, so I wish Mr. Whedon locked up, all right? But again, I cannot stress this enough. Supposed to be fun, all right? All right? This is supposed to be a distraction from the everyday, all right? Whenever tragedy hits us in our fun place, where can you get fun anymore, all right? A little respect, a little decorum here. And this is me saying it. Has there been anybody on the show more outspoken in their hate of that snack fighter's direction than me? But the first thing I said when I saw the thing was condolences to his family. No family should uh, go through something like this. You know, uh, this is my plea to to y'all out there, okay? And and I know, I know, the, our fam gets it. Our fam gets it. We would never do something like this. This is shooting to those ignorant types. Guys, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be entertainment. We get here to escape reality. Don't, don't do this. Just, just don't do this. You don't like it? Say nothing at all. All right? You don't like him? Say nothing at all. But, but to mock him? to take Lee and that he lost his daughter? Seriously, y'all? You know, some things outweigh the movies. This is one. Back to you, Afrener. Yeah, you know, uh, I see our friend from Seattle. Uh, he's waiting in advance. John, we'll get to him in a moment. 
Um, I want to hear what the captain says, but I will, I'll say this. I will confess, I, I didn't really come across that kind of vitriol. I, I didn't even – first of all, I don't think that way. Uh, it's just a movie. I mean, we were pretty passionate for weeks, if not months, about B versus S, but I gave kudos equally. I gave kudos to uh, Snyder for his work on Watchmen. I thought he did, I thought he did a, a, a pound for pound, pretty much a straightforward interpretation of the comic book, of the graphic novel series. So that he, you know, he kind of blew it with, with B versus S, as far as my opinion. But as far as wishing harm on his daughter or, or, or if something happens, you know, like this, and then, oh, you know, that's a good thing and we can move along. No, no, that's, not, that's, not, that's horrible. You know, so uh, I guess I'm glad I didn't see any any folks like that, but I'm not shocked. I'm, you know, this is the Internet. The Internet has some pretty cruel stuff. There's all kinds of things that will blow your mind as to how how creepy and ignorant and cruel these people can be. So um, anyway, let's go to the captain and then we'll, we'll, we'll bring John in. Well, the thing with Zack Snyder is this. It's not so much with me how he directs the actors. Not so much. It's his signature. It's his style that I have a problem with. So that I have a problem with. And as Daryl B. pretty much said, the movie's in the can. So with uh, Joss Whedon, it's, it's, you know, let's see what happens afterwards. There might be a few things that you can add in, overwrite a scene here, pull out a scene here. But for most part, it's still Zack Snyder. I don't like he's too heavy on the green screen and things of that nature. I still remember, you know, the sucker punch situation. I still see flashbacks of that. You know, I, I just don't, you know, <clears throat> I don't like that style at all. You know, it's too cartoony for my taste, for most part. The way he, with his effects team and just the whole way he lays it down. It's his signature. And if you notice, most directors have a signature. It's not just, well, Actor, I want you to say it this way or say it that way, you know, say it with a heavier tone. It's not just that. Spike Lee has a certain signature. Spielberg has a certain signature, you know. Actors, Martin Scorsese, certain, you know, you know, directors, they all have a signature. You know, Ridley Scott likes to layer movies and he likes to use big sets. A lot of people like that. Some people won't like that. Zack Snyder, heavy on the green screen. What he does, and it, it's very, uh, it's very like you know, cartoonish to a certain extent. What he does, you know, I don't really care for that. I, I really, I really don't care for that. But we see what happens with the movie, you know. As the great Dal B said, it's in the can at this given point. Let Let's see what happens. Back over to you, Alfred. All right, let's uh, bring in John, and I, and I will give you my two cents as to what I think. Uh, this is what we could potentially see, but, but, you know, Daryl kind of went there when he said that, you know, it's in the can. And also out of, out of respect because of what's going on. I mean, how much, how much fiddling around would Joss Whedon want to do, you know, in, in the wake of Snyder's loss? Like, you know, are you going to like completely turn this movie around? I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. Anyway, John, what's up, man? Yeah. Oh man. Uh, Yeah. First off, I gotta say I'm no fan of Snyder. I mean, if you read my Twitter, you know that. Um, but man, I really feel for the guy. Uh, to lose a family member like that, you know, it's yeah, it's a pain that cuts deep. And 
you know, is it all right if I get a little real with you for a little bit here? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, I've lost family members to suicide, and members, you know, more than one. And it's not something you get over. So this guy needs time off, you know, have at it. You know, please do. And for anyone that has any issues with uh, depression or anything like that, I urge you to seek help. I really do. And to some of the people that uh, uh, Daryl was mentioning, you can pretty much go straight to hell if you want to bring up this pettiness. I mean, you want to criticize the guy for his work? I'm right there with you. But to wish, to wish ill on his family because you don't like the way he portrayed your favorite comic book character, Yeah, <laughs> you have no moral. You have Sounds no moral. crazy. I want nothing to do with you. It sounds crazy. It really does. Um, it's insane. You know something. Something, yeah. you, and I don't want to bring the show down too too much, but I, I will mention this. It, it, it's it's amazing. Uh, uh, I could be a, a bit personal also. I, I've known a few people that uh, committed suicide as well that that were not so close to me, but close enough, like people that you kind of admired from a distance that I knew, and. You'd be amazed that even people – like I, I think if, the, if these people knew that, that, that did this act, if they knew that even the people that they may not know that well, that when they do that, how it affects them. I, I've known at least three people that committed suicide, and I didn't know them as a family member. I'm talking about like kind of an acquaintance kind of thing, and it, it really s with your head. And I can only imagine I'm I'm kind of on the outside, like an out out outer rim of that kind of pain, and it, it it affects me to this day. So I can only imagine if you're like a parent or a brother or a sister or you know it, it's it's next level, it's next level. So, um, you know, condolences to the Snyder family. Um, you know, hopefully he's able to kind of put it into perspective and 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 take care of of his children and his wife. Uh, it's rough, but th- like you said, those people that that are uh, saying these horrible things. I mean, it. You know, listen, it's a hobby. We do love this stuff, but let's let's keep it in perspective, man. You know, it is it is a comic book movie, really, really. Anyway, John, what 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 do you think? What do you think? Let's let's get off of the. Uh, you know, we. Let's try to keep things a little positive. Um, what do you think might happen with Wheaton's involvement? Is it too late to really do anything, or should he? Um, my opinion is kind of yes and no on that. Um, is it too late? Yeah. Um, can he do something to kind of spice it up and give his own tinge to it? He could, but really, I don't think so. I, I think largely he is going to – do Snyder's vision because it's Snyder's movie. Yeah. You know, he's brought in really to, you know, put on the taillights as, you know, the old saying goes, you know, he's, you know, the movie's done. You know, there's really no extra scenes. You know, is there any real time to even make extra scenes at this point? No. Well, you know, I'll say what it says here. I'm looking from Wikipedia. Uh, again, it says on March 12, 2017, we, we, one first thing, was this widely known that his daughter committed suicide? I don't remember hearing anything like this in March. I don't remember anything. No. No. 
No, he kept no, it on the wraps. Yeah, he kept it quiet, and then it leaked out. I want to say six days ago, it leaked out, and on some of the chat sites and the parts of Twitter I'm on, I saw guys react like that, and I was just shocked. I was like, I was amazed that they were able to keep it so quiet, but at the same time, that that's the ultimate respect. That's how tight his circle was that it took near a month for this to come out, or near two months, actually. Okay, so anyway, it says, March 12, 2017, Snyder's daughter, Autumn, committed suicide, causing him to step away from post-production work on Justice League in May 2017. Uh, Joss Whedon was brought to finish reshoots as well as oversee the remainder of the film's post-production. So he's basically coming in as a technician. He's not coming in to really uh, provide any kind of vision. And I I don't think it's his place to do that. So really, his name attachment... Might might give people a false sense of, you know, like okay, well, Josh is on it. We kind of we you know we might be getting a better film. I'm just saying in, in quotes. I, I don't think that's the case. I think this is just kind of a name attachment. This is him looking out for a colleague, one of his peoples, and he's going to just continue the work te- as a technician. I don't think there's going to be anything in there that's going to necessarily uh, flash out as a Wheaton thing. I don't think I don't think so. So, no, you know. no, but but you know what happens is people that don't know Hollywood or or a thing like that are already jump the gun like oh he he just look just look at his effect on Wonder Woman just look at his effect on and like no it ain't gonna happen. No, that's not happening. <laughs> that's not happening. It's, it's way too late. Like you said, like John said, um, he's just looking out for his friend being a technician and making sure everything kind of just flows like uh, as far as the actual direction of the movie, a- anything else beyond that, you know, now well, I will say, depending on how um, Zack Snyder is able to rebound professionally, do you think this, do you think that Wheaton has a shot at doing the sequel to justice league? And, and, and again, the sequel really is, a, is, is, is incumbent upon how well justice league does, Regardless, we can't just make that assumption. Yeah. Daryl? Oh, sorry about that. Got caught up. Um, mm-hmm. uh, n- uh, no, I think I think the movies that he may have an effect on is the one that we had the most trouble with, that we've been gauging on. Flash. Starting with Flash, he may, I mean, uh, this stuff, uh, uh, remember, we couldn't hammer down anything with the Flash movie, all right? Now, Whedon has a chance, okay, to affect Flash, and dare I say, affect Batman. You know, those are the two movies that are within the next, what, two years? Those are the next two movies that guys have had an eye on that we've seen noticeable problems behind the scenes. Those are the two. But it, Those, he's, also, yeah. he's also tapped to do Batgirl, and that and that might be interesting because of his you know he's known for being uh being able to actually do a pretty decent women's movie, women centric movie. So Batgirl yeah, but may we be. Don't know, oh, sorry, we don't know no. if it's connected to this yet. You know that's why I said the two movies that are connected to this universe that they've already announced 
and Gone Ham on is the next Batman film and Flash. Those are also the two that we keep on hearing about shakeups and problems and all of that. With Whedon there, you're not going to hear that. All right? If Whedon's going to make a final decision on it and say, okay, dudes, go with your vision. Let's do this. This is how we're going to try to streamline it. All right. You know? Uh, you know, something, I want to go to another, take another break, uh, more Greg Allman music. Uh, when we get back, I do want to touch on something we failed to talk about last week. We never actually gave an opinion about Tom Hardy being Venom and just that whole Spider-Verse. I don't, I don't know how this Sony Spider-Verse thing is going to work uh, with without Tom Holland. Like, I, I don't know what, what that's going to be like. So, um, anyway. Uh, Greg Allman has left the building, folks. I was a big Allman's Brothers fan. I'm going to play another cover of Greg Allman. This is – well, actually, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, let, let me go to the, to one of his uh, other grills. I was actually going to do another Midnight Rider, this time with Buddy Miles, but you've already heard Sharon Jones' version of it. Um, okay, this is – Memory of Elizabeth Reed. This is more of a jazz cut. This goes to show you just how prolific the Allman brothers and, you know, and how great Allman was. This is, again, in memory of Elizabeth Reed, Allman brothers. We'll be right back. Let's groove.
All right, folks, pulling out the phaser. I got to remember that the Allman Brothers, they were a jam band, so they can go on and on and on. Anyway, once again, that is in memory of Elizabeth Reed, the Allman Brothers, giving you a little bit of jazz, progressive music. Uh, goes to show you the musicianship that's going on, Captain. Um, not just a southern rock band. They were musicians. Our musicians, they were. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it kind of gives me a vibe of um, uh, what's his name? He's another. I hope he hangs on. Uh, oh, I can't think of his name. Santana had a little Santana yeah. groove going mm-hmm. on. Um, anyway, let's um, let's move forward. The call in number, if you like. I think Daryl had to drop off. He said he was only going to be on for a little bit. Uh, and I, I'm hearing Claire. She says she's going to call in. Uh, if not, it's just you and me, kid. And our audience, we're going to have to do what we have to do. Okay, hold on. This thing, something was wrong with the boards. Uh, Folks, the lines are open, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. This is the Grindhouse. You know, we we never actually got got a chance to really give our impressions of last week's news. I mean, this comic book stuff, pop culture, science fiction, video gaming, what have you. It, it's never ending. You know, it was always was never ending, but because we're actually in a kind of zeitgeist where it's it's pop culture twenty four seven, there's literally mountains of new information. So we failed to discuss Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy is a phenomenal actor, UK actor. Um, we know him uh, for his portrayal of Bane. He's in a series now. Uh, what is that series? Um, I, I got to catch up on that one. Taboo. Taboo. Taboo, thank you, Taboo. He's doing phenomenal work. So uh, we hear he's going to play, you know, another comic book property, but this time it's going to be Sony's Venom film. For the moment, Spider-Man has been leased out <laughs> to Marvel Comics. Now, what does that mean? People not in the know, well, Spider-Man's Marvel, Marvel Spider-Man. Yes and no. For the film side of things, where Marvel Comics, where Marvel Entertainment was in, in financial strife, uh, they sold their film rights to a number of different studios, Universal, Sony, <clears throat> pardon me, Fox. So case of, of Venom, you know, Venom is Sony. And because of kind of the downward spiral for all those other Spider-Man films, they they decided to to do a a business move and share creative control with Marvel Comics. So for all intents and purposes, for the duration, Marvel has Spider-Man back, sort of. Now, all these supporting characters, ancillary characters, Sony could do with what do what they will with them. There's going to be a silver and black film in Silver Sable, kind of a uh, I guess a uh, Helen and Louise kind of thing going on there. I don't know what that means. I'm not really invested in those characters. In theory, I mean, I, I grew up with them. I, I don't know what how that's going to look like as a film unto itself without Spider-Man. Uh, same thing with Venom. 
So I want to get your impressions, Captain. What do you think this is going to be like? I mean, Hardy is a good actor, but sometimes a good actor can't necessarily carry a film. What are your thoughts? Well, well, let's let's back up first. Let's say this, and you mentioned this in your previous statements. Tom Hardy is brilliant. For those of you who want to see him in uh, his brilliant mode, check out Taboo that series. It's there on Netflix or any other, you know, ancillary type of means such thereof. Also check out a movie that I would not have checked out if it wasn't for him, Child 44. Excellent, excellent movie. And very good music, too, with his acting and that music. Now, that being said, when you're dealing with Spider-Man, the only Spider-Man movie I actually liked was the 2002 Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I thought there was a lot of chemistry between him and uh, and his his love interests within the movie. I thought that was good. All the other Spider-Man movies to me have been okay. You know, they're okay. You have to understand some Spider-Man is a brilliant comic. Well, right, let's call a spade a spade a spade. You know, it's a very well done comic. I don't think the movies. I'm not. I'm not going to talk about 2002. That that was good. I don't think the movies have really lived up to that, any which way, shape, or form. Now, as Affleck said, you know, Tom Hardy is an excellent actor, but you have to give him something to work with. I like seeing Venom with, you know, Spider-Man, you know, so they could do that symbiotic thing, you know. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes you, you, you try, you, you try to go to the well so much because these movies are tremendous money makers. And then you start to throw things up against the wall, see what sticks. Some of the record companies used to do years ago. They probably still do, but they used to do it years ago. Sign this one, sign this one, sign this one, and we just see what sticks to the wall. You're going to get some of that. Some of these things might not be good. It might be disappointing, too. But that's just the game that Hollywood plays. But here's the other side again. You know, when you have someone like Tom Hardy, and if you let him just go with it, give him the direction, and you say to Hardy, do it the way you want to do it. Because sometimes directors do that. They say, okay, give it to me like this. Okay, how would you like to do it? You know, it might miss, but then again, it might not miss because he's so good. (laughs) You see, that's the thing with a guy like that. You know, he's so good. It might miss, but because he's so good, you still, you know, you're able to do a decent product. So I'm I'm like torn with this, man. Do I really want to see this? Truth be told? Ow! I want to see Mr. Hardy, though. <laughs> so that's where I am with this right now. That's where I am. You know? Back over to you, Afternoon. Claire, she says she's having difficulties calling in, that uh, she's just getting a ringing. I, I don't, you know, well, that's you know, listen. Strange. Yeah, it is strange. Um, I'll, I'll try calling. Well, you know her. how this goes here. <laughs> you know how this goes here with this. Blog talk. Yeah, the, yeah. The technology thing sometimes it's it's a bit it's a bit batty. Uh, our friend, our stalwart supporter, uh, John Hutton from the Left Coast, he's he's on. He wants to weigh in. Um, while he's speaking, I'll see if I can get Claire on the line. 
Anyway. All right, let's do that. All right. John. Well, yeah. What 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 are your what, what are your thoughts about Tom Hardy as Venom? Well, first off, amazing actor, of course. You know, even way back in the day when he was in Nemesis, you know, he's you can't deny the acting chops. So, I'm right there with uh, the captain on that one. Any movie he's in, I'm going to see because you're in for a treat. Um, what do I think of him as Venom? You know, he's got the look. I mean. You want a big hulky guy to play Eddie Brock? Well, that's what you got. You got Bane playing, you know, Venom now. Um, how much of excitement do I have for a movie like this? Not very much because they've yet to really do a good Spider-Man movie. Let alone now you want to do spin-off movies. And I'm sure you're going to get into uh, uh, was it Silver and Black that they just sent out not too long ago? That another spin-off movie of Spider-Man. You know, can we get the foundation done right before we start talking about spinoffs? You know, that's my opinion on that. So my opinion on it is a little bit, you know, stunted, honestly, because I really like Venom. But now you're saying it's going to be a Venom movie without Spider-Man. So what is Venom going to do? You know, there's way too many questions about this. Until I actually see a trailer and actually get kind of an idea for the story of you know, what's going on. Honestly, just very confusing. Yeah. You know, I have to, I'm having difficulty getting uh, Claire. I think Claire may be tapping out for the, for the day. She's in the process of moving anyway. Um, but we, you know, if not, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely uh, have her back next week. Anyway. Um, yeah. You know, this is just greed. Let's just be honest about it. We're being kind of polite. This is about greed because, <laughs> And I don't, I don't, and I don't begrudge folks making money, but you can't just slap together anything, and they just want to move these, push these IPs, and they're thinking, oh, it's a comic book movie, and that's it. I mean, which version of Venom do you intend to use? There, there have been different, different people who who have been Venom. There's Carnage. You know, you're gonna tap into that. That's kind of that's going even for, further. If it, you know, different Venom, yeah, different that's, Carnages. Uh, that's a good one. You know, and then you know, how exactly would you make a villain movie unless he's going to be kind of in the sense of a Hannibal Lecter? Like Hannibal Lecter is the only film I could think of. It's probably other ones. The only one that comes to my mind quickly that was really villain centric. So, you know, is he an antihero? Like, yeah, now he's a, he's kind of an antihero. But if you're going to go back twenty years ago. 20 plus years ago, he was a villain, like a straight villain. And, and, and you know, if you're gonna, it would be interesting to do a villain-centered movie, but you have to know how to do it. And to me, this is just like, oh, we have Venom, let's make a movie. And then beyond that, all these other characters, these other Spider-Man villains that are floating around, are, are they not going to have, fight Spider-Man? I mean, what, what is, I mean, I don't understand the purpose of all, all of this, except that it must be something to do well, we just want to make money. And who cares about quality? Who cares about how it's going to get done? I mean, how, how do you – and again, is there going to be a Spider-Man, or, meaning someone not even uh, connected to Tom Hardy? I mean – I'm sorry, not Tom Hardy, but uh, connected to Tom Holland? Is this, and then, you know, we must make note 
and I, and I support this woman getting a gig. Gina Prince Blythewood, we know her from uh, Shots Fired, which is a new Fox series, if I'm not mistaken, and Love and Basketball. Uh, you know, she's she's well known, well renowned in the industry, and she, I believe she has the distinction of being, I think, the first black woman to helm a superhero movie. So I kind of dig that she's getting a shot, but she's getting a shot to direct Silver and Black. Black Cat and Silver Sable? I mean, I don't even know what that is. That that to me sounds like it's a... I don't know. It sounds like a recipe for disaster. And again, Black Cat as a character is essentially Marvel's version of Catwoman. And that only... And that only works. That only works with that kind of uh, kind of pat. Uh, I'm sorry, passion, uh, inadequacy, uh, romance, tension, sexual tension, with Spider-Man being there. Silver Sable is a uh, a mercenary, and, and like, and unless it's some kind of heist film. I mean, again, I can see it working if we have Spider-Man but it's more focused on kind of a Ocean's Eleven vibe going on. That might be interesting outside the box, but it only works with Spider-Man. They even have a title, Silver and Black. I see our friend Sergio. Yeah, it's, it's not that uh, black women haven't directed a studio film. We're talking about a superhero film. This particular, he says several black women have directed a studio film before. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> yes, uh, Sergio, you know you should know me by that. I I I know I do know something, but we're talking about Bythewood directing a superhero film specifically that genre. She has that distinction. Uh, I'm familiar with Daughters of the, Daughters of the Dusk and all those folks. Anyway, um, so I I I think this is just a recipe for disaster, gentlemen. I I have no idea what this is going to be like. This is just effery afoot to me. <laughs> All right. Black cat to the table. <laughs> yeah, this, this is this is uh, Thelma and Louise. Who who is she supposed to fight? Nothing. Helen Louise. <laughs> Thelma and Louise. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Uh, again, who she fight then? I. <laughs> that, that's the problem. <laughs> I mean, listen they they may have they may have the joke on us, Captain. They might be. Yeah, they... Might, maybe they have this all figured out, but. This desire to be Marvel, that's another thing that's working its way in this in this this fantasy, is that everyone is trying to mimic Marvel desperately. So all they care about is, well, we have superheroes. We, I mean, we have these IPs. Let's put them together. Not knowing that this is literally a puzzle. The parts have to fit. So, the, I mean, this the fact that the Fantastic Four, the X-Men are with Fox. I mean, okay, they're, they're okay. But it's still pieces of a puzzle that really don't quite fit. They got lucky with Logan, and Logan really works because that really was a one-off story. Old Man Logan, which is what that 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 uh, comic book is. I'm sorry, that movie is based on, uh, sort of. You know, it's it's lightly, vaguely connected to Old Man Logan. Logan connected to Old Man Logan, the comic book. It was an alternate, an alternate future storyline. You know, matter of fact, uh, Days of Future Past was also an alternate storyline. I don't even know if they consider it canon. 
So those worked because they were single stories. But other than that, in my opinion, uh, the X-Men Fox films, we know how the FF films are turning out. They suck. They suck. And they, don't, they, they don't have any connectiveness. They mean nothing. Anyway. Such a well-done comic, too. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah, yeah anyway. the, the, comics are, the comics are great. Fantastic Four as a comic book property is great. But, you know, greed, you know, damn uh, a decent movie. <laughs> I don't care about stuff like that. Anyway, let's let's move things on forward a little bit. Now, this is something I, I think Daryl wanted, you know, he had to leave. But I, I really wanted to hear his take on this because he, he seemed to be weighing in on it a bit differently than I think that uh, the captain and myself may be weighing in. Uh, off the cuff, this story is much ado about nothing, kind of, sort of. But I think it's a seed, a deadly seed that's, that, could, that when planted could be disastrous. What, what is Afrener talking about? I'm talking about this Alamo Draft House women's only showing of Wonder Woman. Now, the way this is being put out there for clickbait, so I, I got to look at it that way, Captain. Allegedly, the manosphere, <laughs> uh, shout out to O'Shea Jackson, <laughs> the manosphere, and there's mansplaining going on that men are upset and maybe they are maybe they are uh, the male geek fan base are a bit perturbed by this studio pardon me this theater chain having this special women's only showing for Wonder Woman no no men are allowed just for that Alamo Drafthouse theater I think I, I get it I do get it, but I think it is you, – you could, you could do this with a whole bunch of other films, and you could extrapolate this into absurdity. And it reminds me of the Stuart Smalley character of SNL. <laughs> what is that for to talk about? This is what this reminds you of. You might recognize this, uh, this future senator. Hold on. I deserve good things. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person. I am fun to be with. Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley <laughs> is a caring nurturer. All right. <laughs> Shout out to Senator Al Franken. Some folks forget that before he was a politician, he was uh, a comedic writer, comedian, comedic actor, and an SNL player. And I, and I remember the Stuart uh, Smalley character. He's kind of an effeminate dude that would always say these affirmations, daily affirmations. And there's some of that working its way in with the, the, the necessity for a, women's, a special women's only showing for Wonder Woman. I, that's just my opinion. So, so Captain, uh, g- give us your opinion on this thing. What, 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 what irks me about this? What am I, what am I mansplaining? What am I not getting? You, you see, and you, you said this, all right. This is really a controversy that has the potential to become a controversy, and it is clickbait because that's what they do at this given time. Now, let's go back years ago. Years ago, you've always had, you know, men only, 
you know, <clears throat> clubs, sometimes business, organizations. But this was mainly during the analog days. And the women were less powerful also, too. And no one really cared. You know, but now at this given time, we're in the SJW, for those of you who don't know, Social Justice Warrior. Okay? SJW. In the SJW time period, where everything and or anything can become a problem very quickly because of social media, the digital age. Why are we talking about this? This was analog. We wouldn't be talking about it. This would be localized in a little area, and it would never go any further than that. But you put it on the Internet. Someone sees it. Someone else tweets it. Yada, yada, yada. It moves around. And then you're talking about it. That's where we are at this given point. So you have to be very careful, as I said before, with inclusion and also being insular at the same time. What do I mean by that? You see, I always say fairness is the illusion of the weak to protect you from the strong to no avail. When you have power, you do what you want. The people with the power are going to keep the best things for themselves. All right? They'll keep most of everything for themselves. That's just how it works. And they project fairness on you. So you think you should have an equal piece of the pie, everybody. But that's not what humans do. You're all self-important. We said we're going to split up the pie four ways if there's four of us. And then someone later on says, well, I'm a little bit bigger, I'm a little bit stronger, I want to take a little bit more of the pie. And then you start going back and forth. Why does this one have a little bit more? Why didn't this, why didn't that? This is what we're doing at this given point like that. You know, the ones with the power take everything for themselves and they leave you with the scraps. Where's the captain going with this? Everybody's self-important. Everybody wants to shine. Everybody wants, at this given time, for everything to be about themselves, whether it's women, whether it's blacks, whether it's whites, whether it's Latin, whether it's, you know, homosexuals, whatever it is, Muslim, Christian. So when you're de doing inclusion, you have to be very, very careful because something like this could turn into, well, we have this coming out. Let, let's do an all-black screening for black people. Well, uh, because you did this, Let's do an all-white male screening. Everyone would be in uproar with that, right? Oh, you white male can't do it. But if it's supposed to be equal and those things are not equal, why are you doing it? You have to be very careful. That's all I'm saying with this. It's a controversy, But you have to be very, very careful when you're dealing and you're doing inclusion. Also, when you want to play insula. You have to be careful because we're in the SJW environment. That's just what it is at this given time. You just have to be careful. You know, you just have to be careful. Years ago, no one would have said anything about this. They would say, I am women over there. Let them do whatever they want. But now, Internet, you know, social media, SJW business, we end up talking about it. And it's passed on, it's passed on, it's passed on. That's all I'm saying, you know. just have to be careful. just have to be careful with this, you know. Have to be careful. Wonder Woman movie, just make a good movie, man. 
That's all, man. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Let's go, man. Stop all this foolishness, and everything doesn't have to be a political statement every time. Just relax, you know? Drink a little juice and relax. Woosah. It doesn't have to be a political statement every time. That's all I'm saying. Back over to you, Afrona. Yeah, our friend John, he's in the chat room. He says, these are the same guys throwing a fit over ladies' night at the bar. Uh, see, I think that if you had a ladies' night at the bar where there's preferential treatment because you are paying homage to essentially uh, the, 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 the outing of, of a woman's, or I should say, the premiere of, of a preeminent women-centric superhero, I mean, you know, when it comes to someone who stands toe-to-toe with Batman and Superman, it's certainly – I mean, that, that's the trilogy. That's certainly Wonder Woman. So it's her day. It's a woman's day. I, I get it. I actually get it. But I think if it was treated more like Ladies' Night where there's preferential treatment or, you know, some kind of uh, T-shirt giveaway, where, you know, something to, 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 really, um, to really promote uh, feminism – Promote the pr- promote women, promote strong women. That's something that, that I would applaud. And also, it would if you have women, if you have men in attendance, being able to witness the power of a of a woman. I mean, we're going to see it anyway. I mean, that's what it's about, really. That's what Wonder Woman has always been about, as far as it, as it, as far as the creation of the character. And I know this is just one day only, but it just comes off a little screwy to me. And again. There's a there's a whole bunch of other protected class movies. You know, there's the gay superhero that could be coming. There's the, obviously Black Panthers coming. Latin heroes, Asian heroes. I mean, you could get to the point where you could start to actually kind of have these kind of uh, separatist nights or, or or showings, and then it defeats the purpose. Where what you're really trying to do is you're trying to provide entertainment from a different perspective. Everybody can enjoy. Wonder Woman has to be appealing to men, not just women, in order for this thing to work. So I, I think, you know, I'm not a meninist. You know, there's there's a whole men's movement. Some of it is appealing. Some of it, you know, listen, there's some stuff that has to be discussed. But I'm not I'm not in that camp. But but they may be onto something. And I don't, I just think you can't you know chalk it up to mansplaining. I mean, it's cute. I mean, hell, in uh, John's neck of the woods, or at least in his state, there's a controversy now, which I, I don't even know what the hell is going on. Evergreen State College, Olympia, Washington. Um, there's a professor. This is more of a Wednesday thing, but it, it ties into to how these things are working out. It ties into the zeitgeist cap of where we are. I mean, this is really what this is about also. It's kind of playing in to a certain vibe that's going on, where we have this kind of separatism. You know, this this make me feel feel good. I deserve good things. I am entitled to my share of happiness. <laughs> I'm just saying. So you have this this uh, professor, Brett Weinstein, who is in opposition to a day of absence. Now they have a day of absence on Evergreen's campus. I'm going to read this quickly, and they're going to move along. But this is this this controversy, which which is potentially culminating in the with the ouster of Professor Weinstein. 
I'm confused about why he's a racist. I'm, I'm, I am confused. I don't get it. But it ties into Wonder Woman. This Wonder Woman thing at the uh, Alamo Draft House. It says here, this is courtesy of uh, HeatStreet.com. Students, uh, students protested Weinstein because he opposed a day of absence event, asking white people to leave campus for a day, breaking from the tradition in which people of color leave campus while white students and faculty members attend anti-racism workshops. Uh, it says, he says, there is a huge difference between a group of group or coalition deciding to voluntarily absent themselves from a shared space in order to highlight their vital and underappreciated roles and a group of group or coalition encouraging another group to go away. Weinstein wrote in the controversial email prompting accusations of racism. See, so I don't even I don't get it. But this is the, this is what this is the, the the environment things are working themselves in. So uh Latin and black students students of color are supposed to be on campus and white people must go away from campus because it's a day of absence. We have to have a safe space for people of color. I mean, really? Really? This is what this is what this is how you end up having a women's only showing for Wonder Woman. I I'm pretty much done with the topic, but I, I think we can go into absurdity with this thing. God forbid Black Panther comes out February eighteenth. I'm not gonna be asking white people to stay away. I want your money. It's a badass character. I want your money. <laughs> That's good, man. That's good. <laughs> you know, engulf all that uh powerful blackness and, and, and intellect, please. Please, we, we want your money. And you know what? Smart. I'm pretty sure the, the WB is probably not riding with Alamo Draft House. The WB, men, we want your money. Don't be scared. We want your money. Just saying. I know it's one day, but no. It's a little shaky. A little shady. <laughs> Let's see. John says, it's a day away from class. Deal. I'm out. See, I don't get that. It's not a day away from class. You're telling, you're telling people, a specific group of people, to go away. White folks go away. You, you just can't do that. They're paying tuition, man. <laughs> That's so, right. What? Based That's on right. what? You know, black and brown people, yellow folks, you know, it's it's our time now. You white people go away. I mean that's that's the reverse of what we did in 1955. We didn't we didn't like it the other way around. Anyway, I'm confused by it. Uh, another passing, you know, Sir Roger Moore also leaves the planet Earth. I, I from my understanding, he had a bout with cancer. Uh, again, you know, he almost made it to 90, so we have to respect that. Um, I, I like Roger Moore. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm always talking about masculinity. That's that's a taboo subject, <laughs> traditional masculinity. But again, I'm thinking about all those folks that we grew up with, and and I will say that uh, th to be fair, um, uh, who is the uh, Daniel Craig? Daniel Craig does an ad an admirable job as Bond. Although I think his first outing of Bond was spectacular. Everything else after that's been a little a little. Mm, a little dull, but 
Uh, Roger Moore, I mean, listen, he, he was not in the not Sean Connery. Sean Connery, he was the first one in, as, as far as film. And we know in the fifties they had like a um like a series for Bond, um, but not the actual films. You know, Doctor No and so forth. Uh, but Roger Moore was the dude, man. I mean, he was the dude. Um, Live and Let Die, I think, was his his entry, the Bond films. And even before that, I knew him from playing The Saint in the 60s, and that's also available on DVD. And uh, The Saint, the iconic Volvo that he drove, he's always always making these cars, you know, the the, the cars and and, and the cool clothes and the women. Um, He carried the the tradition well for Bond. He he definitely had a different take than... than, um, Sean Connery, you know, Sean Connery was more, he, 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 he Sean Connery kind of had, uh, was, was a, a multifaceted bond. You know, he, he, he could kind of play the Lothario, uh, the ladies man, but he could also kind of get rough and tumble. You could believe this guy. He was kind of a big dude. He was, a, he was an athlete. He was a swimmer. You could believe he had the physical prowess and the charisma to kind of give you a complete bond. Whereas, uh, with 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 Roger Moore, he was a bit comedic. He was more schmaltzy, um, elegant. He really wasn't a rough and tumble kind of guy. Although you did see him mix it up, but it didn't seem to be the same way. When you think of Daniel Craig, when you think of of Sean Connery, those guys could kind of really get it in. But he was up there for me as far as Bond. He was the Bond that that, that I grew up with. You know, more so an adult, and those characters came around during my formative years. But uh, you know, I wasn't around for for the Sean Connery, but yeah, you know, I still became familiar with him. You know, certainly. Uh, what are your What are your impressions? Again, another giant in the entertainment business is out of here. Roger Moore, eighty nine. I have to agree with Sergio. You see, there's a reason to like any form of. James Bond. You kick ASS and you bed the women. <laughs> it's a good Be thing. Careful. I thought Roger. I thought. Be uh, careful. Toxic masculinity. No toxic, toxic <laughs> well, masculinity. You're right. You have to be careful. But you know what? It's a white man thing. So he's allowed to get away with it. Ask Trump. <laughs> he's really gunning for him. But anyway, so. I thought Roger Moore was a, a very polished actor. I, I just thought he was polished, you know. So he was polished. I'm not saying he's a great actor or anything like that. It's a difference, you know. He just was polished, you know. He just had some smooth transitions. He did a good job at, as, you know, Mr. Bond, Mr. 007, you know. I, I enjoyed the James Bond. I, I think Mr. Craig, you know, Daniel Craig, as the women would say, the women would say this, because they've said it many times, he's the least attractive Bond that they ever had. That's what they'll say, you know, from that standpoint. So I guess that definitely matters also. But regardless of not whether it matters, he did a pretty good job too. So, you know, it's, we live for a very short time, you know. You know what they say? They say the youth is wasted on the young because you have all this energy. And you don't know anything. But they also say, there's the other side of the, the solitude. Wisdom is wasted on the old 
Because by the time you really know how to do anything, you're old. You don't have that same energy. So ultimately, what's supposed to happen in society is that the older people are supposed to pass the wisdom on to the younger people. So the younger man or woman can be better than the older person. But what do we do here in this society? We like to cut them off. The younger person comes along and says, hey, you don't know anything. So they're always reinventing the wheel. You know, just food for thought. You know, well, you know Roger Moore was very good. Well, you know something else, too? I see, our friend, I see our friend John Hutton and Sergio, they're, they're getting it in a little bit on our in our chat room. Uh, John, John says, uh, I'm reading some of, some of what's going on. He says, Pierce Brosnan is great in GoldenEye. Uh, you know, what I think about Pierce Brosnan, you know, Pierce Brosnan, when he was uh, Remington Steel, no relation to yeah. Remington Steel. <laughs> mm-hmm. No relation. Anyway, when he was Remington Steel, he was supposed to have gotten that role for, for Bond a long time ago. He was like mm-hmm. the guy. And then I think because he was still involved with uh, Remington Steel and the popularity of that TV show, I believe, he wasn't able to, to, to get that gig or he had to decline it uh, just because of a timing issue. But at some point, he was a good Bond, but it became too cartoonish. I mean, this guy. I don't like him as Bond. He was becoming. Like, he, is, he might as well have been a, an Avengers film. I mean, some of the stuff he was doing. One time, one time, if I, I don't know which one it was, I said I had to tap out. It was one time where it was a plane that was like falling off a cliff, and he dropped. He he dropped off the cliff with the plane, not in the plane, and then. You know he he, mo- he he motioned himself like both the plane and Brosnan were falling, and he is able to maneuver himself into the plane, and then fly the plane, you know from 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 a, from a, a falling height. I mean, come on, that's like Superman. No, I remember that. I mean, it was. I, I, I didn't okay. like him. Oh, he's crazy. It was crazy. Uh, the way he makes it, the one with Halle Berry was good. And that's because Halle Berry was channeling Ursula Andress with, with the the, uh, the bathing suit. She wore the orange bathing suit. She was hot. I was like, listen. But anyway, I'm looking at what John Hutton and, and Sergio. Now we now we know you know Sergio is like me. He's into this. He's into that toxic masculinity stuff. I get it. <laughs> anyway, um, John. I didn't, says, I didn't really like him. Well, I, I really didn't a, like him as a Bond. I liked him as Remington Steele, though. He was yeah, real he was good funny. in that show. Yeah. He says, he says, Pierce Brosnan is great in Goldeneye. Okay. Sergio says, uh, yeah, people, everyone's talking about uh, not being able to call in. I don't know what's going on, man, because uh, Daryl said he couldn't call back in either. This is, yeah, this try, is effery. They're trying to uh, stop us. They're trying to stop they, us. They're trying to stop us, man. So, uh, John Hutton says Bond was a man whore. Bullets won't get him. Right. It's, the, it's the STDs. And then Sergio says, Moore smartly didn't try to copy Connery. He put more humor into his performance. He made some good Bond films and some really lousy ones. But he was a great St. Simon Templar, which I mentioned. Uh, and what's wrong with being a man whore? That's it. <laughs> you know, yeah, the, the thing, though, but you, you know, even Bond couldn't contend with where we are in our culture because if you go back to like um the man with the not not the, was it the man with the golden gun it was yeah. 
Yeah, was it the? It was the one where where the the uh, villain sprayed his his victims in gold. And it was a scene where um, Goldfinger. Goldfinger, thank you. It was Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah it was gold. Yeah, man with the golden gun was. Uh, which one was that? I think that was that was more. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, yeah, gold. Oh, wait a minute. Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah, Goldfinger. Yeah. Yeah. So, gold, yeah. <laughs> so, it, so you know, you, you see, um, Sean Connery doing his thing. I think they're at, at a poolside, and he has his woman, and then the actress kind of comes over to him, and he, he's like, you know, basically says it's, it's men talking or something, and he, he slaps her on the slaps her on the ass. And she kind of. boy. Okay. I mean, you know, and then unfortunately that that young lady dies because she gets sprayed up in gold or whatever in his hotel room. But I mean, you know, it's, it's that that kind those kind of scenes. And let me tell you, as a person, Sean Connery is a little rough with the ladies, and he has said that, and he makes no apologies for it. You know, Barbara, Barbara um, Walters is an infamous interview where she talks to Sean Connery and, you know, he says something about, you know, if a woman gets smart, you know, uh, like the Shaharazad Ali thing, like I'm going to slap her in the mouth. That you have to you have to tune up a woman every once in a while. That's the kind of language, <laughs> that's the kind of language that, Con- that Connery, you know, and then she said, she repeated what he said. And she said, don't you want to, like, change that? Or do you have any difference of opinion? Do you feel differently? He said, no. No, I don't feel anything about it. Like, damn. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't respect what he – I don't respect that behavior. But I do respect the fact that that's how he feels, and you're not going to get me to change my mind. Like, most people nowadays, they say some, they say some, some wank, wanky stuff, cranky stuff, and then – they say, oh, I didn't really mean it. No, we heard you. We heard what you said. No, I meant something else. You know, this is what I read. You know, they go back. They, they, they start backpedaling. They start shuffling. He said, no, no, no. That's how I feel. <laughs> that's it. That's, you got it right. It's like, wow. That's a man. Not that he's, he's a great man, but that's a man. Anyway, Roger Moore, consummate gentleman, has left the building. And, uh, you know. Very hard to come across those those type of actors and type of people again. Anyway, folks are having problems with our phone. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, I would have liked to have heard Daryl and and of course Claire uh, their insights, but you know this technical stuff sometimes is beyond our control. Uh, I, I do want to take another break, Cap, and um, when we get back, I think we should talk a little bit about the Flash season okay. three. How it ended. That was another uh, mixed review reviewed season. I'm, I'm always going to be a big Flash fan, so there's only so much hate I'm going to levy toward Flash. Uh, but I will agree. I think season three was somewhat of a mixed season, but they might have corrected some stuff with the season finale. They might. Anyway, uh, Todd Rundgren, I got your back. Let's groove, folks. We'll be right back.
quiz inside this moment of service. I want to give back too. I know, know that you're humble. But I got to, gotta let the world know. I got you back through all the hard times. Call on me when you're looking for the hard vibes. When you're starving, you're wishing on a star, kid. Call on me. No more starving the hardest. Let go, no need for the pride. Son. Pride before the fall and it ain't no fun. We got a movement going on and it's called moving on through the power of truth. I got you back. Will you ride on the train through? Through the dark times, nitty gritty too. We will, we will feed the hungry. People with the soul and the searching for the whole is whole food is a state of mind booth and it starts with a diet made of tailor made I got your back, Todd Mungren. This is the Grindhouse, folks, as powered, as engineered by Afternoon Radio. The call in number is 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. The gang is not all here. It appears that we're having some technical problems with our phones. They're snapping off. I don't know what's going on. Uh, the uncanny Daryl B, he said he tried to call in, of course, Claire Lene. So we will be seeing them next week, unfortunately. Well, unfortunately, we could not see them today, but we will see them for the following, forthcoming, ensuing <laughs> episode of The Grindhouse. Anyway, um, let's move forward. Let's power forward. Um, the Flash, season three. Your impression, sir. What did you like? What, you, what, did you didn't, what is it that you did not like? Give us your impressions. Oh, okay. Season three, to me, fell off. Fell off. You know, it went down about four notches, meaning which that just made it all right. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. They can't say that Flash was bad. You know, it's just that it was at a very high level, season one and season two. They, you know, the Flashpoint paradox, you know, did a few things, shook up reality, and at times it, it felt like a melodrama. I don't like melodrama stuff. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it at all, you know? I like action. I like this is the villain. Villain. This is a superhero, you know? You show a little sexual activity, and let's keep it moving, you know? Let's get it in. Crash, crash, bang, bang. You didn't have that much. You didn't have too much of that this season from my standpoint. When Savitar showed up, okay, you had a couple of good things. I like seeing Flash get dragged through the street, by the way. I like that. You know? 
<laughs> zoomed in it to him. You know, we saw it reverse flash it to him in season one. It was lovely. It was lovely. Man. Villain's very well defi- defined. Uh, th- there's one thing going on with with Flash that I do have an overall problem with. Also, at times, Cisco. There needs to be growth in the character, meaning which you're supposed to learn from your previous experiences. That's where they're lagging. They're not paying attention to that. This and this, this happened to you seven times. This is a villain. Stop with the melodrama business. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to this. I'm going to that. Yada, yada, yada. I don't know what, what, what type of thing you're trying to push. What type of value system? You know? That's not how it really works. You know? So I have a problem with that. You have to learn from your experience. If I smack you in your face every time I see you, you're going to say, okay, here comes the captain. Either you're going to avoid the captain or you're going to have something to stop me from smacking you. You're not just going to walk up to me and just go, hey, what's going on? And I go, pow, smack you in your face. So at times, it seemed like that's what, that's what was happening here with the flash to me, you know? And, and all with the, you know, the melodrama foolishness. It was just, it just it had me a bit perturbed, you know? But, you know, it was all right. It wasn't bad. It was all right. I think the finale was actually pretty good. They did mushy good this one time. Some mushy stuff going on, and I thought it was well done. Most of the time when they get with all the mushy stuff there on the flat, I'm like, ah, man. Like, here's one, let me tell you, that pisses me off within the flash. All truths have to be known. All right? Man and woman, you have a relationship. Most men... If you have an attractive woman, she gets, as they would say, let's let's use this, street verbiage, because it conveys the emotion very well. She gets rapped to all the time, on the train, the subway, coming out of a car, the grocery shop. If she tells you that all the time, men, you will lose your mind, you know? So she doesn't really tell you that, right? Let's say you have a secretary on the job. You're a big wig, you have a secretary. She's young. She's like 22, 23 years of age. And you've been married, let's say, seven years, and you love your wife, and you have to fire that secretary. He says, yeah, she's tempting me. I got to fire her. Now, you could be the type of guy that comes home and tells your wife you fired the young secretary. The wife might tell you, might say to you, well, you, you can't control yourself. You say, no, I couldn't. I don't want anything jeopardizing. You know, my relationship with you, I love you. You're my wife. She has a conniption. She has a fit. What do you mean you can't control yourself? So you don't tell her the truth. All truth is not to be known. Because it'll make a riff. In a flash, all the time, you're telling everybody everything. It drives me crazy because in the real world, it doesn't work. I know, I know it's comic book business. But they're trying to put real world situations and press that upon reality. No, man. So I I got a problem with that, too. I got a problem with that. But that being said, I think going into season four, the Flash can grow some more now. Let him start to grow a bit. And let's get it going. You know, let's let's get it going. Let's get back into things like how you did it in season one and two. You played around with it. You slowed it down. 
And for some people, they got it more or less how they wanted season one to be. Because some, some people said, some geeks, oh, they gave you everything so fast. I said they had to give you everything so fast in season one because we didn't know how it was going to work. And it worked out very well. Season three, you slowed it down with all this melodrama business. I'm losing my mind. Now, here's another question. And maybe Afro-Nerd can answer this, and also Daryl B. Is Iris going to get powers? <laughs> I actually like when Savitar shoved, you know, his armor through her back. I don't like her character. <laughs> it's all about me. It's all about me. Are you lying to me? I really don't care for her character, what she plays. I like the woman, don't get me wrong. I like the way she looks. But, you know, I don't really like her character, you know? <clears throat> yeah. I think that's that's about yeah that's about it you know I think the finale was actually well done well done I also like Killer Force she's a better actress when she plays Killer Force than when she's you know the regular doctor season one she was stinking up the joint as a regular act actress being a doctor well, that's it back over to you after her yeah you know uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Iris Allen ever gets powers in mythology. I know that Iris Allen had died uh, early on, like not well, you know. I think in the late seventies, early eighties, there was a storyline where Iris Allen was killed by Zoom, C- kind of, sort of reminiscent of when the Green Goblin killed Gwen Stacy, and then there was some other way. I, you know, listen. Some of the stuff, I know Daryl can remember this stuff. I can't even remember how some of the stuff worked out. I'm going to have to go to Wikipedia to remember. They're constantly changing and retconning. But I do remember that she was, she was, she was killed. Then somehow he was able, maybe he did some kind, of, some kind of time finagling, which we've been seeing for the last three seasons. Um, but I, I, I suspect when he said to her towards the end of the, uh, end of the episode that keep on running that somehow she's going to end up getting powers, maybe. I mean, heck, even Lois Lane had gotten, I think she presently has or had Superman's power. She was Superwoman in this latest iteration of DC Superman. Uh, there's a Superwoman comic book. So, I mean, they've been, look at, look at what has happened eventually with the Hulk. At some point, everyone became a Hulk. I mean, literally everyone became a Hulk. So, I don't know how. I mean, I, I kind of want to see that for some reason. I, I, I've seen some folks online actually, uh, you know, using Photoshop and giving her a costume. So I know that some of the um, the future flashes that are are the uh, relatives of this Flash. Um, I think one was even a black a black woman, a black young girl, who ended up being. Uh, Flash was her, was her ancestor, and she has powers in the future. Much I remember. I think her name. I think she's Excess. I think that character's name is Excess, and she's a black character who has powers and who is uh, a descendant of the Flash. So I can't say for sure if Iris will get one, but you know, for the sake of TV, she's probably going to get it. Get them briefly. Um. Yeah, this this episode, you know, the way Flashpoint was handled was problematic. And we've spoken about this so many times on the show. 
that it, it, they just didn't carry it out well. The way it was done in the comic books was pretty masterful, but he couldn't do it in any kind of impactful way for for the CW because these writers would have to it, it, it would it would have to be some kind of uh, science experiment for all these writers to get together to figure out how arrows affect and they, and they did tap into that a little bit. They did tap into that. You know, Arrowverse, you know, The Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, all that stuff is so connected. How do you, Flashpoint is supposed to affect all that stuff in subtle ways and not so subtle ways. So I think that's, that was what was problematic. I think that, that actual Flashpoint was only like, really, what, one or two episodes, Captain? I think it was really like one episode. A flashpoint should have been the season. Flashpoint should have been the season. But if you did that, the implications to the other properties this it would it would have been unavoidable. But it would have been a, it would have been a good excuse to perhaps bring back some characters that were deceased. I'm just saying. Um how it ended and who ended up dying that was pretty impactful. Um, where Flash goes, the fact that he's in the Speed Force, and that's a that's a common thing, a common event in Flash mythology, where any of these Flashes go to quote unquote Flash Heaven, the Speed the Speed Force. How long? But I gotta say this: the way that the Flash operates, he's probably gonna be in there one or two shows at the most. They're not gonna have the Flash not be the Flash. I think. Just the way that just the way that uh, Flashpoint ended up working out, I, I just have my suspicions. Um, what to expect for season four? It's, you know, I, I like the I like the way Flash interacts as a family. I mean, that's very appealing. The way they do, you know, if you want to call it melodrama, maybe it is, but I do like the familial relationship. The, the, the multiracial is the multiracial aspect of the interaction is very 21st century. That is appealing to me. I mean, it, you know, although it, it rings counter to where we are now, I used to think that way, but, uh, well, you know, the listening audience knows where I'm coming from when it comes down to what's happening now. But anyway, I like what it represents that part that much. I, I like, but, uh, Season four is going to have to go in, a, in a, some kind of impactful, different direction. Growth, as Captain talked about. There's got to be some growth. Um, do you think that the fact that we're getting closer to these two – well, see, I was going to say they're supposed to be married. They bought an apartment together. Uh, they moved out of Joe's house. Would you have thought that was growth? Cap? Well, from that from that standpoint, looking at it like that, that is growth, but that's not, that's not the type of growth that I'm talking about. I'm I'm talking about learned response, like when you're under attack, <laughs> you know, things of that nature. You know, the simple things like sticking your hand into a hot stove, you know, a hot flame. Flash has operated from the standpoint, I stick my hand into the hot flame, I'm not going to get burned. Do it once, 
you think the same thing again. You do it twice, three, four, five, six, seven times. That's what's killing me within the show. That type of growth I'm talking about. This happens. You're, and I know why the writers do it. I know why. It's because it's easy. You see? In order for you to build on each situation, it takes more complex writing and more thinking. But to keep them doing the same dumb things, though the situation is different, but the same, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. So from your standpoint, that is growth. But that's not the growth I was talking about. You know? His personal interaction with other villains, so to speak. And even before Iris, when, you know, he had other girlfriends and everything else. He, it's, just, it's just like, some things just don't make any sense. But then again, when I start to think about it, yeah, it does make sense because they're trying to show these lessons. You know? Just like in Supergirl, they try to show these lessons. Not to talk about Supergirl, but, you know, go off on a tangent, but it's tangentially related. They show these lessons. But I get it with Supergirl because she's supposed to be, you know, a being of light. I get it totally with that. Flash is supposed to have some of that. Ah, it, 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 mm. ah, it, it just bothers me. That's all. It just bothers me. Uh, going into the chat room, Space FM Lion. Uh, he's asking a few questions. He says, uh, I, and saying, saying a few things. I really want to see Nightwing in the Arrowverse. Uh, might be interesting, but I think, unfortunately, the way Arrow is set up, Arrow is proxy for for Batman. The the, the yes. Batman, the Bat embargo, and it, which is which is complete effery with how DC does things versus how Marvel does things. Marvel doesn't have that fear of having a, an interconnected universe, TV, uh, Netflix, and movies. They, they they're not. You, you know that this is the same world, and there's the hope. And we're hearing more from Kevin Feige. There's a hope that we might actually see more of these characters inter, interrelating, interacting. It, it does make it interesting for the viewer. It makes you more invested that whether you go to Netflix, Hulu, um, you go to F, uh, what is it? Uh, I was going to say uh, ABC Family, Freeform, any of these, any of any of these these uh, outlets that they can potentially ABC with with Agents of Shield that any of these outlets you could actually see these characters interact. This bat embargo that DC has essentially has it where everything is separate. They can't really interact. Uh, and it, you got to have these proxies. You know, Arrow is a proxy for Batman. And the fact that the Huntress was on there, he's asking about the Huntress. Uh, I, I was led to believe that the Huntress is, is, is supposed to be making some other appearance that she could make another appearance. Matter of fact, that actor, the actress or actor for, uh, that plays the Huntress in the Arrowverse was up for the role of Jessica Jones for the Netflix series. And, of course, uh, Kristen Ritter, I guess, got the role, obviously. I mean, you know, to be, to be, <laughs> to be reptilian, I find the, uh, the actress that portrays Huntress more attractive. I'm just, that's just me. Anyway, I can't take anything away from Kristen Ritter. She's a beast. So I'm, and also, I'm looking forward to Jessica, uh, the second season. Anyway, but the CW, some, many of the complaints that you had about The Flash and yes. also the other here. I mean, really, you know, it's, the, it's, the, it's CW being CW. CW, you know, Vampire Diaries, all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's meant to appeal to, you know, younger viewers and, 
it, it's going to be melodrama. I mean, I guess we're kind of lucky to be able to get some kind of superhero pop culture thing. But really, using the term proxy, Green Arrow, Supergirl, all that stuff is a proxy for regular romantic programming. It's romance. I get that. I get that. I mean, so we're never actually going to get the heroes acting the way we would want them to act. I mean, hell, Injustice 2 and and, and other animated fare gives you gives you the characterizations that you would want to see with oh, these characters. Man. But it's when it's the CW Justice too. <laughs> it is. But when it's CW, you don't get that. You don't get it. Oh man. The, the CW is too. the CW ruins it by the weight of its own its own methodology. And that's what it is. That's that's what they're about. Greg Ber- Berlanti, he's got his own and it's very successful. And it's going to be very hard for anyone to kind of deconstruct that because he's going to tell you, F you, these things work. Um, That's true. That's true. I'm disappointed, and we spoke about this, that Black Lightning, at least for the moment, is allegedly not connected to any of this this, uh, Arrowverse, Flashverse, Supergirlverse, Legends Legends of Tomorrow. Now, if that thing starts tanking because it's supposed to be DC's version of Luke Cage, I mean, the minute that Luke Cage was successful, DC was raising their hands. Wait a minute, we got a black guy that has powers too. Like right away, you heard the announcement that initially Fox was was going to have this Black Lightning series. And you know, again, I'm familiar with the character. Um, I would like to see him on screen, and it looks like it could be it could be okay. But if it, if anything, if anything. He needs to be interacting with those other heroes so that there's a stake in people wanting and needing to see Black Lightning. Agreed. It can easily be they're setting it up for failure. Yes. Yes. Preach, brother. Preach. They are. <laughs> and, and, that's, and, and, you know, unfortunately, they do that with the black, the black shows. Yeah. You know, Rosewood. Shout out to, um, to our who, – who follows us on Twitter now. Um, Ah, why am I forgetting his name? Morris Chestnut. No, I, I shouted him out and said that um I said, Hey man, you know, how can we save Rosewood? And that the minute the minute I said that, he follows us on Twitter. So a uh, shout out to uh Morris Chestnut. Uh for those who'd like to call in, remember to press one. Press one so that way we know you want to join in on the conversation. Again, you're listening to the Grindhouse. The call in number is six four six nine one five nine six two zero again six four six nine one five ninety six twenty let's go to a call um you know we got about 15 minutes our our gang our starship afro nerd members they are uh persona non grata the left coast correspondent claire linay she couldn't get in uh ironically this caller got in so maybe the problems with the phone have re- have resolved anyway three eight six welcome to the grindhouse tell us who you are where you're calling from what's up Hey, this is Darth Vader calling for one of those Imperial Destroyers at Walmart. What's up, man? What do you have to add to the conversation? Well, tell me what the conversation is about. Maybe I won't put the dark side on your... I don't know what that's about. (laughs) Right. You know, again, 
you know, we're, we're talking about pop culture, but we're not goofy MFs. <laughs> we're really not. Anyway, let's go to another groove cap. We got about 15 minutes remaining. When we get back, uh, I think we got a few more topics to actually get into. Um, I'll make a decision when we after the group. <laughs> there's, there's stuff that we fail to, to mention. There's always overflowing topics, folks. Always overflowing. Anyway, uh, let me go to weapon of choice. Weapon of choice. High, higher spice. Higher spice. Two minutes. We'll be right back. Let's groove.
ability to jump out of any possible range with my possibility. Even in a dog great dog world, at odds trying to get even with itself. We can bust a big old gigantic nut and twist the cap that was in that jar that was on the shelf. <laughs> All right, Funk, I think those cats are definitely from the George Clinton bloodline, weapon of choice, weapon of choice, folks, Um, hyper spice, hyper spice, weapon of choice. Uh, We got about nine minutes and some change remaining, folks. This is the Grindhouse. Our team uh, had difficulties in the beginning. Um, We will see them back next week, of course. Uh, I have the captain in attendance. The call-in number, 646-915-9620, if you're able to call in. Some people have been able to call in. Some have not. 646-915-9620. Quickly, trying to kind of brush up with some of the remaining um, fare to get into. You know, they're they're talking more, Captain. You know, I mentioned everyone is trying to, as far as Hollywood, is really trying to get their own version of the Marvel magic. And Universal Films with their Universal Monster line. We've mentioned, we've mentioned them here and there. But Universal actually has two sets of monsters that, if you really want to get into, into details about it, uh, they're different kinds of monsters. You got these, you know, the 20-foot-plus tall monsters, and, you, and then you have, you know, your Draculas, your Frankensteins, your, your, your Wolfman. Uh, those characters, the Invisible Man. So I believe we just got the actual terminology, nomenclature for this universe. It's called the Dark Universe. So the Dark Universe is supposed to represent all these universal movie monsters, and they're supposed to be interacting, not that dissimilar, from the Marvel Comics characters. I guess even not that dissimilar now, for the DC characters. So what what are your impressions? I mean, some of the folks that they, that they have connected, um, Javier Bardem, I think, is going to be, I think he's going to be the Wolfman. Johnny Depp, I know, is going to be, at least tentatively, he's going to be the Invisible Man. Um, we have Tom Cruise connected to the Mummy, forthcoming. Um, and then we just had King Kong, and King Kong, I think, is still. I think that's part of part of the dark universe in some way. Uh, King Kong's going to be connected to Godzilla and Mothra and all that stuff. So, what what are your impressions of how they're going about it? What does it all Invisible mean? Invisible Man. Invisible Man is a hot character, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's a hot character. It's a hot character. Well, with this, as I said before, there's so much going on. The way they do it, the way they are doing it, it's a little bit different, which is good. But then again, it might not be good. Because, as I said before, some of this stuff is not going to work for various reasons. And one of the reasons that it might not work is because we might be getting to the point where it's too much overkill. You know, you need to, you need to have balance with this. You know, everything can't be superheroes and monsters 24-7. Some of the stuff that comes out, this needs to be solid based things that are not superhero and monsters. <laughs> Truth be told, you know. But they see how much money is being made. Cha-ching, cha-ching. So everyone's going in. So from that standpoint, what they're trying to do here, it's different. 
They're attacked. It's different. It's not it's not all, you know, Avengers. It's not Justice League or anything of that nature. From that standpoint, done in that manner. It's not CW. It's not a Twilight movie. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what happens over a period of time with this. I'm going to check out The Mummy, by the way. You had mentioned, you know, you had Tom Cruise there. With Mummy. I like Tom Cruise. I don't care what any of you say. I like him. I like him in Mission Impossible. I like him in Jack Reacher. And we'll see what happens with The Mummy movie. I don't care what any of you say. I like Tom Cruise. Even though he does the same acting in every movie, it, it doesn't matter. Except for Eyes Wide Shut, when he was probably really acting at that given time. Because he didn't know that what he would be doing would work. Now he just goes, I'm Tom Cruise. I don't do any accents. I don't do any of that. doesn't matter where the picture is. I just do Tom Cruise, and it's going to work. You know, overseas, they love me. So let's see what happens with this. Back over to you, Afrolerd. Yeah, you know, this is what you got. You got the MonsterVerse. So I'm trying to make sense of this. The, the MonsterVerse presents... Like Kong Skull, Skull Island, which we saw a few months ago, which I thought was a pretty good version of King Kong, actually. Uh, so you have Kong, Skull Island. That's going to be connected to Godzilla. That's the MonsterVerse. And then you have the Dark Universe, which is universal with the Mummy. You got the Bride of Frankenstein. I'm going to give you some of the dates on this stuff. The Mummy is supposed to be June well, June 9th, which is uh, next week. Wait a minute. Uh, not next week, two weeks from now. So that comes out the week after Wonder Woman. Is that correct, Cap? That's correct. So you have The Mummy, June 9th, 2017. You got The Bride of Frankenstein, which is supposed to be February 14th, 2019. Um, you got Untitled Creature for the Black Lagoon. Oh, 2019. Yeah. I'm going to see that. <laughs> the Invisible Man, 2020. Yep. Van, Hel- Van Helsing and Wolfman. Now, the Wolfman, which had Benicio del Toro and Anthony Hopkins, I thought that wasn't. I thought that was wasn't that bad. I mean, that was pretty much a, a Lon Chaney remake. I mean, that version was was more in line with that. Now, Dracula Untold. Did you ever see Dracula Untold, Cap? No, that was good. It was a good movie. Well, Dracula Untold was supposed to be linking into everything else. But I think because it didn't do that well, and maybe it was critically panned. See, I'm getting mixed reviews on it because I'm hearing that Dracula Untold wasn't that bad also. But they're choosing not to include that with this dark universe, although it was supposed to be a setup. So I guess guess Van Helsing is going to be how Dracula is introduced. Okay. That's the, only, that's the only way that makes sense. But Dracula Untold was supposed to be a part of the Dark Universe, and now they're just not going to have that. It goes to show you how much success plays a role. If, if Dracula Untold was wholesale successful, and, and actually, you know, it cost $70 million, and it made $217 million. But I, I guess that's not the kind of money they want to see. If that thing made half a billion, four hundred million, five hundred million, six hundred million, we would for sure think that Dracula Untold would be a part of this this world. 
So anyway, yeah, with, with those numbers, they're probably a little bit behind with the promotion because essentially you make half. So that's probably why they probably lost just a little bit of money on that. Yeah, it's it's a shame, you know, Vlad the Impaler, who's a real life person. Um, mm-hmm. It would have been interesting to see how that would have connected to everything else. I mean, was there a part? I mean, I I think you I heard you mention it that they did leave something toward the end. Yes, they did. Believe. So I think that kind of sucks. They and the did. Invis- you're, and you're right about the Invisible Man too, because I mean, even the old school Invisible Man, Claude Rains, 1933. Now I look at that film from time to time. The the old one, you know, this is this is the period of Frankenstein and Dracula. That that version is is still holds up to me. That and if you, you want to, if you want to attack on Hollow Man. Mm-hmm. If you want to tackle on that, Hollow Man was frightening. You never really think about a person being invisible being scary, but a person being invisible is scary as you don't know what. It's it's frightening. Anyway, less than a minute, folks. I think we should be closing shop. Always a pleasure. Uh, we'll do this again Wednesday, and then of course, hopefully, our tech problems will be behind us. Shout out to Claire Lene. Shout out to Uncanny Dow B. Uh, John from the West Coast, always supporting us. We appreciate it. This is Childish Gambino, also part of the Spider-Man verse, MCU. Terrified, remix, terrified. Next week, folks, it's been real. Enjoy your holiday.